Now we're going to talk about that freedom that says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's really the next point that Paul is making in the book of Galatians for us. That that God is working, God is at work for freedom in our lives. What a powerful thing. So if you have your Bibles, you want to um, open them up right now to Galatians 4.8. That's where we're going to start today's message. And uh, some, uh, some good stuff. So actually, it's a lot of reading today, so we're going to get right into it. And uh, the first thing that Paul brings about in this passage in Galatians 4.8 through 11, is he says this, don't surrender your freedom to religion. And uh, (laughs) to region. Look at that. Well, forget about that region thing. (laughs) To religion. Right? Dot your I's, cross your T's, and put the L's in there. All right. Don't surrender to religion. All right. I said, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Right. That's religion. All right. Before we knew God, they were slaves to the dictates of these false deities. But now that you know God, it says, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning your back to those weak and miserable forces? You see this powerful thing that in our lives. So often we, we live some of this religion. Uh, a lot of folks uh, get into that bondage where we, want, we just want the gods to be happy with us. We want the universe to smile upon us or to be friendly to us. We want good karma. We want whatever it takes for the weird forces in this world to stop pummeling us and to make us feel safer. Right? That's kind of what we want. We want to appease those forces. And so... As humans, we invented ideas of how to control those forces, so we felt some power in that, right? And we created a list of rules based upon our own system of ethics, which we thought was right. And over time, that those codes got put into stories and things like this, and, and voila, we have religion. You have wise people that walked the earth before, and they seem like they know what they're talking about. And they sat down and came up with ideas of how to, to make God happier with you or the universe to be you know, less mean. And they wrote their things down. And again, you have religion. And for the most of us who aren't, you know, I would say, had the gumption to try to create our own religion, most humans walk around in this world knowing that something is horribly broken. In this world, right? Something's horribly broken. And you see bad things happening to very good people all the time. And you see very wicked people getting off doing great things all the time. And we've all suffered injustice. And we've all inflicted injustice to others. And we recognize there is something broken in us and around the world. And with no idea what to turn to, we turn to these lists of rules by these people that we thought were wise or by old sayings or whatever that say, if you just follow these things, you're going to be okay. And whether or not we know it, that is, that is how most of us have lived our lives until we found Jesus. And that's what most of our world here in Estes Park, this is our, this is our mission field. And most of the people who live here in Estes Park who don't know about God This is how they live their life, enslaved to to feeling like I've got to do things in order to to somehow be okay with whatever deity is out there. And the problem with that is, is that none of us keep lists very well, do we? (laughs) None of us keep rules. In fact, there's a, a, 
there, there's an old hotel that uh, one of my friends I was in Bible college with, he stayed at. He liked to fish a lot, and, and it was on um, the Lake of the Ozarks. And was, um, so he would go there and fish, and he took a picture of uh, there was a sign that said, you know, don't fish off the, the balcony. That's what the sign said. Don't fish off the balcony. What was happening, people would fish right off the balcony and into the water, and then sometimes they would miss, and then the hooks would come down and snag people, or they would break windows. Yeah, it was fantastic. So they put these signs up into there, and he takes this picture of the sign, and it's got a picture of him fishing. You see the sign, and then you see on every balcony people fishing. <laughs> right? That's just, that's just the nature of people, right? In fact, uh, there was another hotel by the, the ocean that had that same problem. They took the signs out, and they had less people fishing off the balconies. You see, we see these rules, and we feel compelled to live by them, and yet we also, inside of us, feel compelled to break them, and that is a problem. And Paul says to these folks, he says, listen, you, before you knew Jesus, this is the way you lived. You had rules that you knew you ought to do, at least you thought that you ought to do, and it didn't bring you peace. And yet you also in yourself had this lawbreaker inside that just wanted to break those rules and did from time to time. And that's a horrible way to live. It's a way without peace. It's a way without joy. It's a way that feels constrained. It's a, it's a way of life that is miserable. And he says to them, you have God's grace, right? God has saved us. Through Christ. Remember the list last week of all the things that we have? That Paul talks about in Galatians that we have just by faith. We have the Spirit, right? The fellowship with Him. We have forgiveness. We have hope. We have, we have purpose. We have identity. I mean, some phenomenal things. We have freedom. And Paul says, look. Look at your life. You have this grace. Because he's talking to Christians now. And the first thing he tells us is that God has worked in us or through us. God is working for we can have freedom even beyond religion. What an amazing thing. Isn't that awesome that you find that in the Bible? Instead of it saying you have to now do these things all the more or else watch out. It says, do you wish to be enslaved all over again is what it says. You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, he says. That somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's why we're here. We, we, we understand the gospel. We've been saved by God's grace through faith. Right? That, this is an amazing thing. And that's who Paul is talking to. But to recognize for us as Christians, there are times when we go back into that lawbreaker mentality. We forget that we had a tutor, a guardian, who brought us to Christ. And we recognize that we're not fully sanctified yet, oftentimes. And we turn back to the safety and security of old guardian law. And when we do that, Paul says, I fear for you. We have began to go work for what God has already given us. We can't engage in the work God has for us because we're still living like little spiritual babies underneath that guardian, right? So the first thing that Paul reminds us right out of the gate is, 
Watch out, Christian. Watch out, brother and sisters. Don't surrender your freedom again to religion. Let's not do that. Now, he goes back to another thing that we often surrender our freedom to, and that's partisanship. Right? Not just religion, right? To, to the rules, but also other people who keep those rules and the club of people that keeps those rules. Right? And oftentimes we allow that identity to be the thing that truly gives us our identity, not Jesus. Remember last week, by faith we have identity. We are sons and daughters of God. That's what it says. That's where our true identity comes from. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, because for I became like you. And you did me no wrong. And as you know, it was because it was an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. And he goes on and he talks about how these people loved him. Just loved him. Right? Paul was an outsider. He wasn't even one of them yet. Right? And he came into their life. And they loved him. And they cared for him. And they treated him well. But as soon as this other group came up, and said, wait, we need to add something to Jesus. We need to be Jesus plus. All of a sudden, these same folks who were so kind and so wonderful to Paul are now saying, whoa, he's not one of us. We can't listen to him. We can't talk with him. I understand, isn't that what we do in Christians, right, as Christians? We'll embrace one another, right? We'll, we'll come in and say, oh, you're my brother or sister in Christ. And there's this wonderful uh, story. There's this... Uh, it was a kind of a sad story, but it's a guy who was standing on a bridge. He was going to jump off, and it was very sad. And another man comes up to him and says, whoa, don't do that. And he says, why? He says, well, because God's a plan for you. And the man says, well, I've heard that. And he said, where would you hear that? Well, I heard it at church. Well, what church? Oh, the Baptist church. Oh, well, I'm Baptist too. He's like, brother, you're Baptist? I'm a Baptist. That's fantastic. You know God. He said, at, at the, the man says, wow, well, what kind of Baptist? Well, you know, I was the, uh, the Southern Baptist of this thing. And the other man says, that's me too. That's fantastic. I can't believe we haven't met each other. What part of the Southern Baptist Church were you? The Southern Baptist that had the, the hooks or the no hooks, right? And the guy said, well, I was the hooks Baptist Church. He goes, what? And he kicks the man off, right? Because he kicks him right off the bridge. Because you know, how could you be part of that sect? Right? Sad story. But you actually, that's a joke. But there's a real story. There is a real story that I, that I have to tell you that... I went, when I was doing preaching in, in Ozark, when I was there at sc- doing school, and, and I went to different churches, and uh, I would preach there, and then there was two Christian churches right across the street from each other, and Amy and I didn't know which one I was supposed to preach at, because it was one right across the street. And, and so we pull into it, and luckily we got the, the right one, and, and there was very few people in both churches, just small families that went there. And I went in and, you know, I did my sermon and I asked. Because, you know, there wasn't like a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church in the Christian. It was two independent Christian churches, like very close to each other. Now, what is the deal? That's what I asked the, the guy because this is this old uh, farmer family. And, and it turns out that long ago there, there was one congregation. They were both the same congregation and they owned that plot of land, the whole plot of land. And now it's cut in half. And what happened was uh, there was uh, uh, the pastor would always get there early. Every Sunday he would get there very early, and then he would set things up and all this kind of stuff and, and get things going. And one day one of the deacons thought, you know, it would be nice. Is, and he noticed that the pastor would get there early. He always lay his coat down in the front pew because he had nowhere to put his coat. And one of the deacons thought, hey, this is a great idea. I'll go and I'll put a peg 
on, by the door, the front door, for the pastor to put his coat. Because he gets here early, he's placed for him to put his coat, and then he can get things set up. Well, some other people in the church thought it was a very bad idea because that would make the pastor feel elevated like he was some type of clergy and not like the rest of the people. And so that's, this was a bad, bad thing. And, the, and they got so upset with each other that the church actually split. They split the property. They built separate buildings. And for like 40 years, they've worshipped in different places. You see, partisanship is a master. When we identify with the wrong things, when we identify with a peg versus a not peg, or we identify with our pet theology more than we identify with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have become the slave to partisanship. Because Jesus, his only prayer for us, right, the one that he prayed directly for you and me, John 17, he prayed, Father, help them remain one just like you and I are one. As I am in you and you are in me, help us to be one, to be united. You see, when we identify ourselves in Jesus, we recognize we're part of his family, a family of freedom. But when we are part of, when we are part of a partisanship, we, are part of, we identify ourselves more as, I am an independent Christian church guy and you are a Presbyterian, so I can't talk to you. You know, we've got issues. All of a sudden, we are allowing our partisanship to determine who and who we cannot talk to. But Jesus has given us freedom, hasn't he? Jesus has given us freedom. It doesn't mean that we forget about what we hold to. That's not what he's saying. It's meaning where's our identity? Where is our freedom in? He says, look at these folks. He says, don't fall into that. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing. Not just partisanship, though. This is the one that I have to worry about. It's don't surrender your freedom to misguided false zeal. There are a lot of people that are out in the world that are very uh, engaging, and they've got a lot of zeal, right? They've got a lot of heat, but not a lot of light. And this is what we had here. It says, for those people, the ones who came up and who, who told those Galatians, made them partisan, right? Made them say, well, we're part of the southern Judean version of Christianity that says Jesus plus these other things, right? So those people were zealous to win you over, but for no good, right? Their, their, their motives were against the motives of Christ, but they had a lot of zeal. And, that's, and this is, what do they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. They were jealous, basically. They, you, they wanted the Christians in Galatia to identify with their power play, the, the churches down there in Judah, against those other churches that you know, were accepting Gentiles. They were having, it was a political move. And they wanted those churches in Galatia to stand with them in this great civil war in the church. That's what they wanted. And they were zealous about it. And it says, Paul says, it's fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good. Right? And, so, and it says, and to be always so, but not just when I'm with you. You see here, in our Christian walk, we, have, we live in this world that is not so Christian. Right? That's just the way that it is. And there are a lot of causes out there that are very important, very important. And we should feel passionate for them. We really ought to. We need to have zeal for the right things. Paul says that's fine, right? But we cannot give up our freedom to false zeal. So we have to look at the things in my life that I'm willing to die on a hill for. Is that 
thing that I'm willing to go to battle for, willing to alienate my brothers and my neighbors and my co-workers and my family members, are those battles the ones that, that bring people closer to God? Are those the battles that if Jesus was here today, if he was standing with me, is he the one, would I be standing next to him fighting that battle? I have to ask myself that. Because if I'm fighting the wrong thing, if I'm zealous for something that's important but not from part of God's kingdom, I'm fighting for a very temporary thing. I'm surrendering my freedom to false zeal. Or if I'm following somebody, I don't care how charismatic they are, how great they sound. If, if they are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, if they are not preaching salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, if they are not teaching redemption through the Holy Spirit, right? if they are not teaching the, the authority of God's word in our lives to, to teach us and to free us and to change us, it, it doesn't matter how much zeal they have. It doesn't matter how charismatic they are. That is false zeal. We can be as excited as we want on the road to hell, but it still goes to hell. Our zeal needs to be for God and into the things that God is zealous for. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, don't just do that when I'm around. Don't just have a, a, you know, a, a Christian a big party whilst I'm here and, and sing and clap and all those kind of things and whoop it up for Jesus while the pastor's around. But then when you go home or you go to the office or you go where there's no other Christians around, you kind of are like, well, God's kind of cool, but. I have my own battles I'd rather fight. Let our zeal be for God. Let our zeal be for the things of his kingdom and his righteousness, right? That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Then all those other things that we spend our lives being zealous for, worrying about, he's going to give to us. He'll take care of us. So don't surrender your freedom to misguided zeal. Powerful thing. God is working to make sure that we have this freedom. And then... He talks about this crazy thing. And I read this and I sat down and I scratched my head. And I said, what on earth are you talking about, Paul? And he gives an allegory. And you know what? As Christians, how we do this, uh, the controversy in this allegory amongst Christians is this. Should Christians use allegory in Scripture? Should we be teaching? That's, that's what they were all like. Most of the commentaries spent their entire time arguing about. Is it okay for Christians to use allegory? I don't care. What I want to know is, why did Paul do this? What is he talking about? And he tells this crazy story, and I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to break it down. But his, what Paul's really asking is, who's your mommy? Right? That's what Paul's asking. So this is what he says. You're going to love Paul, too. Look how frustrated he was in this argument. Like you could just tell how frustrated he was when he's trying to argue with these folks. <laughs> he says, tell me. Who? Uh, tell me. You who want to be under the law. Are you not aware of what the law says? <laughs> this love that. He's so funny. <laughs> For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of, the, of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. Right? The women represent two covenants. One covenant is Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, 
who, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. And he goes on. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, persecuted by the son, born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now. A little church history, a little Bible history for you. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament story of Abraham. Abraham, God gave him a promise. said, Abraham, you're going to have a nation. You're going to have so many kids. You see those stars in the sky? Can't even count them, right? So are going to be your children. There's so many. And Abraham said, that's awesome, God. I can't have kids. God says, don't worry about it. Okay? Abraham has this wife, right? It, it, she can't get pregnant, and they get old. And finally, his wife, Sarah, says, you know what? I'm not going to give you this promise. You know, God said that you're going to have a son. Clearly, he did not mean through me. I have this slave woman who works for me, and you can have a baby from her so God can keep his promise to you, right? Because Sarah was going to help out God. brilliant idea and abraham's like he's an old man at this point i don't know what he's thinking he's like fine <laughs> i don't know so gets hagar pregnant the baby's born abraham's like see god you kept your promise to me and god's like that's not my promise that baby was born the way all babies are, are born see i'm going to bring a baby to you by your barren wife and so abraham's like what don't worry about it comes back 13 years later or 12 years later and says, all right, when I come back again, you're going to have a, you're going to have a baby. No way. And, Abra- and, and Sarah's like, what? She's, she actually laughed. She laughed at God saying, I am so old. And she was. <laughs> right? She was really. No, you guys are like, you guys are like kids compared to her. Legit. And. She laughs. She's like, I don't even know if I want a kid right now. Probably. <laughs> yeah. You know? And sure, and so God named the kid, you know, he laughs, right? Because Isaac, laughter. And so, sure enough, Isaac's born to this exceptionally old couple. And, and it's a miracle. I mean, even in modern science, you look at it, you're like, how is that even possible? And it just wasn't. It's a miracle. Any of these two things. Well, then, of course, these women live, and, and uh, Abraham gets kind of caught in the middle of, of this messiness that he brought into his family. And so, finally, Sarah's like, you know, you've got to get rid of Hagar because I don't even want to see her. I don't want to see her face. Just kick her out. And so Abraham gets divorced. And he, he, this is what he gives her as alimony. He gives her like a bucket of water and a kid and says, good luck. I told you, Abraham sometimes was a stinker. And... And God took care of, of, of Hagar and Ishmael, and he became, you know, God gave him promises because God's a good God. It wasn't his fault that he got caught in the middle of this. But he was not the child of promise. Now, what, what Paul does here is you have to recognize that the people of Israel really did never, ever want to identify themselves with Hagar. Like, she was not their mommy, right? If you were a Jew, you were not an Arab, right? I don't know if you've noticed there's a little tension over in that part of the world, right? <laughs> 
Well, that started a long time ago, <laughs> right? So to say to the Jews who were there, who came to Christ, listen, that's your mom if you're abiding by the law, it's a little offensive, right? Or a lot offensive, right? And what he's saying is, listen, this is an allegory. He has to tell them that because they're like, she's not our, we're not descended from her. And he's like, no, 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 we're using these things figuratively because I'm teaching you a lesson. And here's the lesson that Paul teaches us in this by looking at these two women. It says, you were born to live free. And so here's Abraham's legacy. You have, you have the facts over here. You have different moms, okay? And, and you have two mothers. Here's the first, this is hard to see. It says two moms. Okay, you have Hagar, who's a slave woman, and you have Sarah, who is the, the actual wife, okay? You have two sons that we are in play here. You have Ishmael, the son of the slave, and you have Isaac, the son of the wife. And you have different ways that the children were born. Okay? Nobody contests this. Hagar had Ishmael in the ordinary way. Right? Man and woman come together, they have a baby. Isaac, however, was born by a promise. There's no explanation for Isaac other than God stepped in and said, I'm keeping my promise to you. This is who your nation's going to come through. So, you have those. Now, what does it mean? Well, it says there's different kind of mountains that we're talking about. Hagar, and this, sounds from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where something really important happened for the Jewish folks. It's where they got the law. Right? So she represents the law in this allegory. You have Sarah, who represents Mount Zion, the real Jerusalem from above. Okay? The, the, the place for God's people, the home of God's people. In fact, uh, Jerusalem uh, was the promise. Right? They got to it. Right? When they conquered the land, there was the city of Zion that sat on the hill, and it was a fortress that no one could penetrate. Right? It just sat there, but, but David knew by promise the land belonged to them. And so they took Jerusalem, the fortress, the one place where everyone said, you can't take. Mount Zion is the place of the promise. All right. The two Jerusalems. She stands for the earthly Jerusalem. says the kids, the people that live there now are the children of Hagar. Why? Because they're living in the city obeying the law. And yet you have the children of Sarah, the children of promise. Look for not in earthly Jerusalem. That's not our home, right? When Jesus comes back, I'm not moving to Jerusalem city today. I'm moving to the heavenly Jerusalem that's going to come down, which is going to be awesome, right? But that's my home, right? That's where I identify with. That's my city. Here's the status of the folks that live in these places. These are enslaved. And these are free. So how do you become, how do you def- figure out which, oh, which you are? He said very simply. He said, all right, you're a descendant. If you are a descendant by race, and that's where you get your identity from, if you were just Jewish by race and you obeyed the laws just by race and things like that, and Jerusalem is your place by race, he says, this is your, this is your lineage right now. Because we are not saved by race, right? That's, that's not how we're not saved by law even. So, and you remember the whole chapters, five chapters leading up to this? He talks about that, not saved by law. So if, if that's where you, you think your future is, that's, that's going to be pretty rough. However, these folks come here are descendants by grace. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. Not by race, not by law, but by grace. And here's the outcome, he says. These are disinherited, which is kind of harsh. And I, and I, you know, this actually I took out of a, a, 
uh, Bible dictionary because it was the best one that I, I could get. I don't know if so much they were disinherited. In fact, it seems like what Paul talks about in like the, the tree, the vines, you know, it says God prunes and he'll cut off. And then we are like the, those of us who are Gentiles are like wild shoots. God didn't cut down the tree. But he's saying for those who aren't willing to come by God's grace to be part of his kingdom, they're pruned. But to those who come by grace, you get to be called an heir of God, not because you deserve to be, but because it's grace. That's the whole point of grace is that you get to be added in by it. Now, here's the cool thing. This, because it is by race, it is by location, all this kind of stuff, it's a locked system. There is only a certain number of people that can ever get there, right? Hagar can only have so many kids, and those are the kids that she has biologically. That's it. You don't have an invitation. You don't, you don't send out an invitation. People say, hey, be part of my family, right? And then you become part of her family. That's not how it works. You had to be part of her family. According to God's promise, according to the children of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, it talks about it in Hebrews, it talks about it in Romans, it talks about it here. God does send an invitation that says, be part of my family. He says, I will adopt you. Which means that anyone from here, by grace, is naturally going to be called to be part of this family. And those of us who are Gentiles, it kind of seems strange because we don't know all this history. But the invitation is for us too. How awesome. This is a really fun family. And Paul asks us, he says, who's your mom? Are you looking for religion to give you identity? Are you looking for law and rules and partisanship? Are you looking for those to be your family? Because if that's your family, now he was talking to context, historical context. Paul was talking to a church that had a lot of Jewish and Gentile converts that were in there, right? We don't live in that same thing, but we live in a country in which we have a vast history of Christians creating different camps, right? And we become like this. And he challenges us. He says, which family are you really part of? I don't care if it's Hagar the Jews or it's Hagar the Christian church people. Who are we? Right? Who are we? We need to be God's first. That's who he says, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our identity. This is who we are. So don't give up your freedom. He says, you were born to live free. Now, that's the other part of it that is is fascinating. God's purpose in sending Christ was not to enslave us again to another set of identity and rules. He gave us identity. You're his children. You're his child. He has given you his Holy Spirit who is going to change you from the inside out. He's writing his law in your hearts. You're not going to be able to help yourself but change to be like him. He's changed us. So he says, don't live according to that false and old way. So the last thing he challenges us is this. Live free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That is the challenge that Paul gives and that's the challenge that I'm going to leave us with this morning. That's the challenge. I ask the worship team to come forward as we bring this time uh, of this message to a close. I would like you to take out your green connection card. And here's the thing. In this life and in this world, we're going to be challenged a lot to give up our freedom. It's going to sound like a really good idea in a lot of ways. But Paul reminds us that in the Holy Spirit says, don't give up our freedom. So let's not. So how do we not do that? Well, here's some ideas. First one is that Galatians memory verse today 5-1 memorize that 
Because when the, the call to identify ourselves with anything other than Jesus first comes into our lives, remember it is by freedom that Christ has set us free. Right? So don't take on that burden. Memorize the scripture of God. Meditate on it. Think about the freedom that God has given you. How about this? Read Galatians 4, 8 through 5, 1. What are we just preached on? You know, ask God to reveal his word to you in your heart. Maybe this week that's what you need to do and recognize. The, it's not just that I'm saying this. Look into the word yourself and see the freedom that God has for you. Maybe it's this. Ask God to help me surrender, not to surrender my freedom. Because that's a very hard thing to do. And I'll tell you, I have the hardest time with that myself, right? Because I work for a church, and, and I love doing that. But there is, there is a temptation to identify myself with this building and with you more than I identify myself sometimes with Jesus. Maybe you have that thing where there's something that you're identifying yourself with first more than Jesus. Maybe what you need to do is ask yourself not to ask God to help you not to surrender your freedom. And to ask him to remind you who you really are so you can follow him. And the last one is live free in Christ. This is, how do you do that? Well, the cool thing about living in Christ is that you're not living in yourself anymore. Living in Christ means applying his way. We, re- we sang this song earlier today, right? I surrender to your ways, right? It's not about me. So God should do things my way. Living free in Christ is this amazing thing where you get to say to God, I choose you today. What is it that you want? It's diving into his word and finding out what his, his, his perfection has for you. How he's changing you. Finding God alive in your life today. It's the freedom to love other people. It's the freedom to, to connect with God and to go to him as your father, but also as your Lord. It's an amazing thing. Maybe you need to live free in Christ today and, and maybe, maybe part of that is taking a step out of those other things that are, you surrender our freedom to a little bit. And take some time and just say, you know what? God, I want you first. Jesus, I'm living for you first. You are my primary identity. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe there's something else that I didn't think of. Write it down there. I'll be praying for you this week as you make that commitment. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have. If you have a prayer request that you want me or the pastors or the staff or prayer team to pray for, I encourage you to write that down too. Why? Because we're in this together. (laughs) We are in this together. And you know what the amazing thing is? That we are free to do God's amazing work in this life together. So we do that. We pray together. We work together. We worship together. And we live free in Christ together. Amazing stuff. So in a minute, we're going to have you drop those into the offering as well as with your tithes and offerings. And uh, that's what we'll do. Let me uh, pray for our offering now. Uh, Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace and love and mercy and peace and righteousness and goodness. That you are big enough to be all that we need to be about. And Father, we admit that in our life we get caught up with our own crazy things. Our own religion and partisanship and, and rules and identity and things that are not you. Father, I pray as a congregation, let us set those things aside. Uh, let us look to you first as our God, as our master, as our, as our leader, as our Lord and as our Savior. Let us find our hope and our purpose and our joy and our freedom in you, Father. And help us as a church not to give that up so that we can do the things that you have called us to do for the glory of your name, Father, and the good of our community. We pray that in Jesus' name.